So we're about to have a holiday this week, as you all know. Kids are off of school, running around. The turkey's getting in the oven pretty soon, all that good stuff. The weird, you know, Uncle Joe's coming in town and all that. We got a holiday of Thanksgiving coming up. In the midst of the busyness, though, this week and all that kind of stuff that's about to happen, I want to just slow down for a moment and, and talk about giving thanks because it is actually, in, in, in my opinion, based on the, the reading of God's word, I believe it is one of the core realities of the kingdom of heaven, of a new redeemed people, of a transformed people. Gratitude is our life. It's, it, you can look through all throughout the Bible. The word thanksgiving, come into his courts with thanksgiving. The word give thanks. The word gratitude, I mean, is just absolutely all over the place. One nice and easy one from Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. In whatever you do. I mean, this is just life. This is life as a follower of Jesus. Life in God's kingdom. Life living under the grace of God. Whatever you do, as you do it, you're giving thanks. And it's, it's, it's really stood out to me in the last couple years, just prominently, maybe because in our world it's so easy to be cynical or that the headlines are so scary. You know, the news is doing their best to keep us glued to negativity and, and fear because it, it, it releases those natural God-given fight-or-flight hormones where if we see something's life-threatening, we got to stay in tune to survive. And they, they play that on us all the time. They intentionally play on our emotions. And, but it becomes now just the reality. Everything's so scary, so doom and gloom, so negative. And yet you look at the Bible, you look at God's Word, and even in the midst of the broken and fallen world, the challenges that we face that are real... The posture of God's people is gratitude and praise. That's what he calls us to. That's what he, by his power, wants us to live in. He wants us to be able to live from that kind of victorious reality where we, in the midst of the challenges of life, have genuine gratitude flowing out of us. As I was meeting with some of our leaders this week on Tuesday, it was just on my heart, this picture of, of hope flowing out and where in Romans 15, Paul prays that we would be people abounding in hope and that in some senses, if you have that, you're ready to lead because this world is, is so lacking in hope. And similarly, in gratitude. If we have gratitude, if we can wake up and, and genuinely have hope for the future because of Jesus and then a gratitude to speak about who God is, what he's done, and what we know he's going to do, that's where hope and gratitude come together. Man, we have an awful lot of good news to share with the world because those things, having them genuinely are, are, are a hard currency to come by right now. And so I want to look into uh, God's word a bit and just dig deep and pray that, that really God blesses us with the power to choose gratitude. And we're going to close our time taking communion together as a church family and really focusing this taking of the Lord's Supper on the gratitude uh, that, that should be coming from that. 
So I want to take us real quick to a Harvard Medi- Medical School definition of gratitude. That to me gets to the root of it's gets to the root of why gratitude's so important in life. And I don't think it was intentional on their part to point to God. <laughs> and that's part of why sometimes I like, you know, reading various scientific literature and seeing data and statistics and studies and see how science almost like in spite of themselves, you know, <laughs> points to God. And this is one of those places where uh, it does that. But if you want to talk science, actually, for a moment, and how even on gratitude and how it points to God, uh, just look up the power of gratitude. Look what it does to your brain. I mean, even on a scientific level, level the studies that are coming out on, you know, as they can you know, measure these things now, uh, it's amazing the way that God has created us and how gratitude is so good for the soul. It releases or excuse me, it reduces cortisol when you practice giving thanks for things in your life. It reduces cortisol, which is like the stress, anxiety, depression hormone. So it literally, from a physical standpoint, it, it shuts off the hormone. Like the more gratitude that's practiced, the, the dopamine and serotonin, those are the happy, feel-good hormones that God has given us, so we don't need to look at them as bad things. It's just scientists discover the way God created us, and then they take all the credit like they're smart. You know, it's like, you're just telling us what, how God made us. Like, wow. You know, it's like, so give God glory, and yeah, that's cool. But anyways, but those are, so those are the, the serotonin, dopamine, those are the happy hormones that get released when we give thanks. So, and then what, as we give thanks, the anxiety, depression, and despair hormones literally like get shut off like a faucet. And so it's an amazing thing. It's like, it's all throughout God's word, which doesn't talk about the science on that level, didn't have the names of the hormones back then or whatever, but you can see like the word of God is the best medicine. God's ways for us are the best medicine. They may not have the same scientific names, but the word of God teaches us the way to live that is for optimal health. And so it's a beautiful thing. Fast forward now to this Harvard uh, definition of gratitude. The word gratitude is derived from the Latin word gratia, which means grace. With gratitude, people acknowledge the goodness in their lives. In the process, people usually recognize that the source of that goodness lies at least partially outside of themselves. And I love that. Gratitude is the word rooted in grace, and now we're starting to get into the biblical world, and grace is the recognition of undeserved goodness. And this, you know, Harvard definition kind of starts to go in that direction. With with gratitude, people usually start to recognize that some of the goodness is at least partially credit to outside forces. So they're kind of getting down the road of exactly what the Bible says in James 1, 16 and 17, which is this. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. I like to retranslate that for myself and just say, everything good in life is a gift from our Heavenly Father. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good thing we have in life is a gift from God, period. That's a biblical Christian worldview. In other words, we live and move and have our being by grace. If you have something good in your life, 
It's grace. It's a good gift from your heavenly Father. And yes, we partner with the Lord, and there's all sorts of great verses about this is a real relationship where God invites us to not quench the Spirit, but to partner with the Lord, to say yes, to say amen, to follow him, to obey. But even under those things that he calls us to do, it's all undeserved goodness. Every good thing in life is ultimately a gift from God. James even says with strong language, he says, don't be deceived. That's interesting. He's talking about good gifts, and he says, don't be deceived. In other words, if we don't live with a posture of gratitude that recognizes that every good thing we have in life is not on our own strength, but ultimately a good gift from God, a gift of grace, an experience of grace, if we don't recognize that, we're living under a lie. Don't be deceived, James says. Every good thing you have in life is a gift from God. I like it because it gets us into that posture of that childlike, hey, no matter what I've done, no matter how much in ways I've strived, no matter how hard I've tried, really ultimately, at the end of the day, every single good thing in life is a gift from our Heavenly Father. It's undeserved goodness coming our way. And if that's the case, then the proper response to that is quite simple. It's just gratitude. It's thanks. It's praise. When someone gives you a gift that you don't deserve and in some ways weren't expecting or didn't even know you need, the simple, proper, holy, built-in response is gratitude. So when we live a life of gratitude, that's a way of worshiping God because it's recognizing that every good thing in life is ultimately from him. Instead of if we're deceived and taking the credit for the good things going on in our life and really robbing God of his glory, robbing God of the worship that he is due by simply not giving thanks. And that's where James says, no, don't be deceived. I mean, and James is the doer. So this is not like that message of like, oh, we don't do anything. I mean, James is the guy who like really like Martin Luther tore him out of the Bible because he seemed like he was too action-oriented, right? He's like, hey, if you have faith, you're going to do something about it. If you're not doing, doing anything about it, you don't have real faith. So James is the doer. And even James, this doer, is saying, but don't be deceived. Every good thing happening in your life is ultimately a gift of grace. And we worship God by recognizing that in everything we do, as Colossians says. And I want to take us quickly to a, a synopsis of one of the most tragic stories in the Bible to me. It's in Numbers 13 and 14, and it's kind of a, a, a culminating point where the people of Israel experience a, 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 a tragic day. It had been coming. But it's the place where God ultimately said this whole generation is not going to make it into the promised land. And so it's one of the most tragic passages in the Bible. I mean, this is where right out of Exodus, God had heard the cries of his people. He had seen the oppression. He was absolutely not okay with it. And so he rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. This is like the defining act that created the people of Israel. 
as, as a group, as God's chosen people. I mean, yes, the promises went back generations, but this is where it was like now the people had grown from these, you know, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then they ended up in, in, in Egypt, and now the time has come to call the people out, to free them from slavery, and call this God's chosen people, through whom he is going to make his glory known to the nations. And so God has done these signs, these wonders, these amazing things, And the tragedy of it all is from the very beginning, even after the first miracle, they're grumbling. And in weird ways, we look at it, it's like, oh, man, that's weird. They're they're asking to go back to Egypt. Like God just performed like 10 miracles to set you free, and now you're on the brink of, you know, the Red Sea, and, and the posture of the people, it's like, oh, thanks, God, you brought us out here to die. I mean, but it was like, you know, we read it's like God just performed 10 miracles. He sent 10 plagues. He did miraculous signs and wonders. He showed his power and glory. And and you're you're like in the honeymoon trip out. And you're like, oh, thanks, God. You want to kill us, don't you? And we look at that. We're like, oh, you know, little faith. But that's where, you know, it's Corinthians says, Paul says, hey, these are here to teach us. They're here to warn us. They're here to show us. Because we've got the same weakness inside of us to depend on ourselves, to see even things God has done and and forget what God has done and and, and focus on the problem at hand. And instead of living a life of gratitude because of what he's already done, we focus on the problems and we turn to grumbling instead of gratitude. And that's that's ultimately where where God said, hey, if you're not going to trust me, I can't give you the promised land. In Numbers 14, 11, God says, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the, the signs that I have done among them? And then in 14, 27, God says, so how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? Not one shall come into the land that I swore to make them dwell. And so there's this connection between the lack of gratitude and God saying, the real root of the problem is, you don't believe in me. You know, in spite of all that I've done, your lack of gratitude is showing, actually, you don't believe in me. You're despising me. And in radical contrast to them, Caleb and Joshua were some of the only people that had a different response. And then God said, hey, you two get to go into the promised land. When they were on the brink, and God's showing his grace and still giving them options. I mean, ultimately, the way I, part of the way I see it is they didn't want to go into the promised land. I mean, the 12 spies were sent. Ten came back, gave a bad report. And the whole, it says the whole crowd, the whole group, the whole assembly started grumbling against God and Moses with the same old tired tune of like, oh, you brought us out here to die. We don't want to go in there. They're too big. They're too strong. We're like grasshoppers compared to them. Numbers 13.30, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and says, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. I want to point out the contrast here. Look at this. Between the whole rest of the group, the whole family, the whole congregation, and the ten spies that went versus Caleb and Joshua, there's a completely different experience. But 
it, in, in the natural, it doesn't make sense. Caleb and Joshua have this posture like James 1.17 that says, hey, everything good in life is a gift from God. And that they, they know they live dependent on God's power. They've seen God do it before, so they trust he'll do it again. So they say, hey, we are able to overcome. Because they recognize God has been with them the whole time in miracles and provision and grace and power and signs and wonders. So their faith produces gratitude that says, hey, that's how it's always been. That's how it's going to be. And yet we see in this story two groups of people that have the same history with God. So you got Caleb and Joshua and then unfortunately everybody else. The same history with God. The same present challenges that they're facing. And yet they're experiencing life from a vastly different perspective. One is grateful. One is hopeful. One is feeling blessed based on what God has done. The other is hopeless, despairing, and grumbling. But what's wild to me is they have experienced the exact same things in life. And that's where for us the the choice and the challenge comes in. We all have a choice on where we will allow our minds to dwell. What we choose to focus on will become our biggest reality. I mean, it's this fascinating story. These people experienced the same exact things. And yet, one group's response is grumbling, despair, hopelessness. Another group's is confidence, joy, (laughs) gratitude, and hope. From the same circumstances. Gratitude becomes this, or excuse me, grumbling, (laughs) focusing on the problems, focusing on what we don't yet have, becomes this very unfruitful exercise that in its most toxic form keeps us from recognizing the grace that's all around us. We're swimming in grace. I mean, every breath in our lungs, every heart, beat every time we are able to experience anything good in life is ultimately rooted in the cross of Christ who purchased for us every good blessing in life and up into eternity. We as Christians, more than anyone on the planet, should be able to declare and feel and know and respond with gratitude that we are living a life of undeserved goodness. It's all grace. But this story illustrates that we have a lot of power to choose what to focus on because the Israelites were experiencing grace as well. I mean, signs and wonders. And I mean, for most of them, it's like these are signs and wonders that are more outlandish and awesome than any of us have ever probably laid eyes on in person, right? It's, that was tons of grace. And yet the, the Caleb and Joshua contrast versus the rest of the people show us that God has also given us a choice So what are we going to focus on? So I would argue that gratitude is a a very critical spiritual discipline. Because you can experience lots of grace, 
But if you don't discipline yourself to choose to focus on the good things that God has done, then you can experience lots of good things, like the people of Israel, but somehow end up still in despair and grumbling and truly feeling like, God's done nothing for me, and he's not going to come through. They felt it. And so can we, even in the midst of experiencing grace all around us. And so there's two things here. I'm going to jump to the the New Testament. Two ways that God gives us, at least, and there's many, of how we can be training our minds. And this is where we do. We partner with God. God calls us to train ourselves, train our minds, of course, with his Holy Spirit's help. But our choice on training our minds to focus on gratitude. There's two things here we'll look at and we'll be done. Number one is we practice taking negative thoughts captive. A way to train our minds towards gratitude is to do what God's word says in taking negative thoughts captive. Let's read the the word here. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-6. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy Arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So God has given us, this is the scripture is telling us here, God has given us weapons to do warfare, to do spiritual battle. See, the weapons of our warfare, not flesh and blood. So we're talking about divine power. This is a spiritual battle. And it's so significant here is that what you allow your mind to dwell on is probably the primary spiritual battle you're facing every day. These things of arguments and opinions raised against the knowledge of God, arguments, opinions raised against the knowledge of God, and if this is spiritual warfare, where is that primary t- primarily taking place on a day-in and day-out basis? Right in here. Arguments and opinions against God. Oh, God didn't really come through. Where's God right now? Is he going to provide? Is he going to take care of you? Does God really love you? Could he really forgive you? Is he even here? Does he care? Is he far away? Arguments and opinions against God that rage every day. And what does this passage say? It says, take these thoughts captive to obey Christ. That is a very aggressive term. That is, take them captive. Go and take them prisoner. This is not a passive activity where we allow these negative thoughts about God and who he is and those little whispers of the enemy. That say that, and that's his primary tactic. I mean, from the very beginning, did God really say this? That was the first thing that Satan ever spoke, and he's been doing it ever since, trying to just cast doubt on who God is. Did God really say? Is that really God's promise? We're talking about healing this morning. Does Jesus really model that? Does God really care? You've been hurting for a long time. Does God really care? You've been praying about this thing for a long time. Is God really going to provide? 
Oh, this relationship that is burdening you in your heart. Do you think God, I mean, come on. He's got all the power in the world, and you prayed, and nothing's happened. Does God really want to change? I mean, that's the devil all day, every day, trying to come and just poke holes in the character and nature of God, in his promises. And to keep us from seeing and remembering all the good that God has done, and therefore living in this posture of gratitude and hope. And so Paul says, when that happens, don't get passive. You go to war. Get aggressive and take those thoughts captive and submit them to Christ. In other words, when a negative thought comes into your head and you can feel it starting to cause you to question God's character, his promises, his nature, you want to treat that thought like an enemy trespasser, like someone's just come into your home and they are trying to rob everything that you got. That's what the devil's doing every day. And our job is to recognize, hey, you are an invader. You are not welcome. Those are not God's thoughts. Those are not God's promises. Those are not the truths about who God is and his character. And I'm going to wrestle you right now. I'm going to take you captive. I'm coming after you to pin you down and submit you to Christ. I mean, that's aggressive language that he's calling us to do in order to win the battle for gratitude. We have to be vigilant in recognizing the lies that come our way every day. What did James say? Don't be deceived. It's what the devil wants to do every day. He wants you to believe little subtle lies that get you over in that camp of just grumbling, anxiety, despair, hopelessness, instead of recognizing the grace that you're swimming in all day, every day, so that gratitude is what's coming out. And this is not a a denial of problems. It's just putting them in their proper place. It's submitting them to Christ. And it's living in the posture that as the victorious mindset of a believer, Christ went to the cross to give to us. Luke 12, 32, fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you his whole kingdom. That's the heart and nature of God. That, to me, like, that trumps everything. That's all we need to know. We wake up in the morning, and there is hope, and there is gratitude. Why? Because Jesus, who went to the cross for this truth, lived, died, resurrected to prove that it's real, says it makes the Father in heaven, our Father, happy to give us his entire kingdom. That's all I need to know. Every single day to have a good day. I'm serious. Like, let's, talk, let's break it down and get simple sometimes. That's, that's one of my verses. I don't know. You got your one, two, three, four, five verses that you've encountered this about the nature of God, and they are just the bread that you live on? Because you're living on some kind of bread. It might be the bread of anxious toil, like Jesus said. It's the bread of the lies of the enemy. It's the bread of the intentional hopelessness of the news. We're all feeding on something. And in this passage... Paul says, get aggressive and fight those enemy invaders and submit them to Christ. And to finish on the positive note, number two here is as you submit every negative thought to Christ, you take it captive and say, no, no, you're an enemy invader. 
if it's going to keep me from gratitude, if it's going to keep me from trust in God, if it's going to keep me from praise today, if it's going to keep me from having genuine hope that God, it makes the Father happy to give me more of his kingdom today, any of that stuff, I'm, I'm going to pin it down, I'm going to give it, I'm going to Give it to Jesus for him to beat it into submission and say, no, I went to the cross to destroy these lies. And then now, now that the negativity is gone, where do I put my focus? In very famous verse, for good reason. Philippians 4.8, we practice dwelling on the good. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. Here's where the battle's at. Think. This is our choice. That's why it's in there. If it wasn't our choice, he wouldn't write it. If we were just robots that woke up of like, well, like God's sovereign, do what you want to do today, then there wouldn't be verses like, hey, you, take those thoughts captive. Hey, you, dwell on good things. This is where we get to play a part in the genuine relationship we have with God, what we choose to focus on. What we choose to focus on, like the Israelites, becomes more and more of our experienced reality with God. This verse where it says, think about these things, the word literally means live here. It means dwell, live. I love it. You have the choice of where your mind is going to live. Now, the Holy Spirit empowers us, and that's part of what we can pray Holy Spirit, renew my mind. Holy Spirit, help me dwell on these, in these places. But the call from God, the invitation is live here. Whatever is good, live here. And don't take vacations. Just live here. There's a little... Response in the lift notes. I just wrote a quick little gratitude covenant. As an example, I would encourage you this week to ponder something like this. Maybe you want to use this one. Maybe you want to write your own. I just, this is just mine. As I'm trying, working with the Lord, partnering with God to learn to live in gratitude, to practice gratitude, to practice taking every negative thought captive, and then practice just learning to live in all of the good things that God is doing, has done, and will do. I wrote a little one for myself, the gratitude covenant. I commit to training my mind and heart to dwell only on positive, grateful thoughts that recognize the grace of God in every good thing in life. And I make it a goal to never dwell on a negative thought and allow it to grow into grumbling or worse, bitterness. Where we choose to dwell in our thoughts has great, great spiritual power and ramifications. Can we make it a goal to never dwell on a negative thought in a way that it allows us or it robs us from hope, from joy, from gratitude, from praise. We want to just, you know, take hold of the problems of our life long enough to where we are filtering them 
through, we, we want to focus on them or recognize them just enough to where we're submitting them to Christ and then putting them through the hopeful filter that God wants to bring more of heaven into that situation. We don't dwell on them long enough to where they become spiritually bigger than Jesus. And you know they have be if they've robbed you of your gratitude and your hope and your joy. And so that's where it's training the mind to say, no, I'm going to see those issues. Everything, every, every life has issues that need work, that need transformation, that need growth. And so you recognize those just long enough to then submit them to Christ under the covenant of grace where Jesus says, makes my father happy to transform everything in your life, one thing at a time, with more of his kingdom. And what that does is it produces a gratitude and a hope that, that, that can't be taken away. I love Caleb and Joshua, where it was like, man, they, they'd been through the same hard, negative things that the rest of the, the people of Israel had experienced, but they, they allowed it to teach them that God's grace is with them. They live by grace. God has more grace coming. What he's done in the past, he's going to do in the future and increasing measure. And so they lived with hope and it produced gratitude. And so as we move into this week, I want to challenge us to take some time. Think upon this gratitude covenant. Think upon your life and what it looks like to specifically take captive some maybe some recurring negative thoughts that just beat you down and, and, and rob you from hope in what God wants to do or keep you from being able to give God thanks, genuine thanks? And then what does it look like to, to practice focusing on the good so that you can say, thank you, God, for that breakthrough in, in my family. Thank you for that breakthrough in my marriage. Thank you for that breakthrough in this specific child. Thank you for that breakthrough through at work. Thank you for that breakthrough in my personal life. Thank you for that break, breakthrough in health. Thank you for that breakthrough. And you just start building that repertoire until it is just the air you breathe. So let's, let's take some time this week, and I know many of us are already on this, this, this train, if you will, but we live in a world that is, is coming against us and fighting against us, and the enemy's fighting against us with such strength in this area that this is one where it's good to pause. I would encourage you to take the whole week, talk about it with some, some folks close to you, this idea of a gratitude covenant. What does it look like to make your own in a way that's very genuine to you, before you and God, with right where you're at, and, and let God transform your mind so you, can see, so you can live in that gratitude that is gives God the glory he deserves and keeps you lifted up in hope with the good things that are to come. So we're going to take some communion now, and, and uh, if I could have a couple people just come up here and, and grab those plates, and we'll just pass them down. I want to ask us to, thank you guys, appreciate that. Um, I want to ask us in this, in this time as we close, there's so many different ways that we can take communion. Thank you, sir. And focus on some aspect of what Jesus' body and blood did for us on the cross. But this morning, I want to ask us just to focus on gratitude. As we take these elements together, you know, Jesus said to do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood spilled for the new covenant. I mean, if there's ever a way to remember God's grace, 
It's taking communion. This is right here saying it's the body and blood of Jesus that has purchased, literally, purchased on the cross for me everything good. Everything good that I've ever experienced in life and everything good that is to come. Obviously, first and foremost, it's the salvation in Jesus Christ that we have received our sonship, our daughtership. As Romans 8 says, by His Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. We are welcomed into that royal family of God. And so as Ephesians 1 says, every blessing in heaven is now ours in Christ. That's grace. That is completely undeserved goodness we just receive and say yes. But everything else flows from there. Every good blessing in life, every good relationship we have, every time God has healed our body, every provision that we've received, every time we wake up and have air in our lungs and and a beat in our heart, every warm embrace of a hug from a friend where we feel that love of God, every time we walk in somewhere and feel secure and safe because of the goodness of people around us, that's God's love. All the sin that we know we have been forgiven from where Jesus says it's separated as far as the east is from from the west, I don't even remember it anymore. Every gift and passion that he's instilled in us where we get to shine a light with others and we feel fully alive because we know there's gifts that it's like, wow, God God made me this way and it's so, so much joy to enter into those things. That's a gift. Every meal that we have that we share with loved ones gathered around a table, that is a gift. I mean, literally every step we take in life is a gift. So I want to encourage us as we take these these elements together you can kind of prepare them it's a little bit kind of confusing a little there's a tiny little plastic layer on top that opens up where the the wafer is the symbolic the, the body of Christ that was shed for us and then you open up the second layer there's the juice which Jesus said it was his blood spilt for the new covenant that's grace right there <laughs> the new covenant we, do no, we are not treated as we deserve. It's just grace, grace, grace. Let's just take a couple quiet minutes before and we'll take the elements together. But I want to encourage us to spend a couple minutes and say, Holy Spirit, would you bring to mind right now, would you give me a holy renewed mind and you bring to mind good gifts in my life. And may it well up into genuine gratitude where I can just say thank you. So Holy Spirit, right now we pray that you would bless our holy imaginations, our holy minds to remember to think upon many of the great, gracious, undeserved gifts that you have brought into our life and as well the promises of what's to come. Holy Spirit, We ask that you would do that that and fill us with gratitude. Fill us with gratitude. Let's take a couple quiet minutes.
singing